We've been traveling and have just returned from Houston in Texas, where we, we, where we helped to strengthen and restructure the March of Remembrance. We gave it a very good direction, and before that, I was in Bogota and was privileged to preach there in front of an auditorium, well, actually, it's a 60,000-member uh, church, and it's hard to believe, but just on one Sunday, I preached to 20,000 people. I started at 7 in the morning. There was were 7,000 7, people there. So if you think this is early, you know, we can do quite a bit more here in Tübingen. 7,000 people at 7 in the morning, and the next lot of 7,000 came at uh, 8.30, and then there were the next 7,000 at 12, and then another youth service, so it was really powerful. It was a special Sunday to honor Israel, and we were together there with the chief rabbi of Colombia, and we experienced the presence of God there in a very powerful way. And I don't recall exactly how long ago it was, but I preached on Romans 6, and I promised that I would continue there. And Romans 6 was life in freedom of sin. And then after Romans 6, obviously there's Romans 7, so... But before I say a bit more about this, trying to preach this to you in a way that you realize how crucial this is in our day and age, I would like to share a few more thoughts about Romans 6 and give you a summary so we know the context. And we need this message at this time. So this is not my new hobby horse, but this is a crucial central message so we could find a spiritual sense of direction how to deal with our times. And it will minister to you personally, I am convinced of that. And you might possibly experience change. If you want to, open up Romans 7 verse 4. I would like to have this at the foundation of my message, Romans 7 verse 4. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So we belong to another, and we know his name is Jesus. And so to read it in a different translation, and that might be easier to understand, in the same way, my dear friends, the law has no more power over you, for you have been set free from that power when you died with Christ on the cross. Now you belong to him who was raised from the dead in order to bring fruit to God. And we will keep reverting back to this verse. And now, about three weeks ago, it was we thought about what it means for our, the, our old man, our old person, to be crucified. That's life in freedom of sin. And we discovered a bit more about the term sin, because sin is not just what we do, but ever since we have been separated from God, it's an imprisonment, a captivity under the powers of darkness. And we thought about the fact that there is nothing good in man. But every human being has something really disgusting living inside him, and that is sin, the old man, the old self. And that is just the landing pad, the airstrip for sin, the old, the old self. And 
You know, many people try very hard, we try to kick sin out of our lives, but that's not the key. But our key is getting rid of our old self. Victory over the old man, over our old self, and I spoke about different ways of self-redemption and working hard and trying everything, and that doesn't really work until we finally reach the point that we recognize there's something that has already happened because our solution is Jesus. What he did on the cross of Calvary, we've been crucified with him and our old self has to die with him without any reservations. And we have the tendency to, you know, push forward or also to go into inferiority, live in hypocrisy, our rebellion. All of this has to die at the cross. And then the end of my message, and in a sense of summary, was when does that happen and how does it happen? It has happened already, 2,000 years ago, but how can I validate it? And then I gave you this known word of homologeo, two things. I need to validate something, like a check. So I do that by trusting and also by speaking. My words, my confession will validate what Jesus has done. I validated with my mouth and my words, with my confession and my trust. So maybe that's a bit of theory for you now, but also it is very practical. And now let's go take the next step and talk about something that we don't really like. Because when we say that word, many times it's like we have a negative sort of idea or a negative reaction. When we hear the word law, it is nothing we really like, or at least some of us don't. But obviously, it is quite important in the Bible. Because if you were just to open up a Bible program and you search for law, it turns up 437 times, the word law. So it seems to be something quite important. In the Old Testament, 237 times. In the New Testament, 150 times. In the Gospels alone, 32 times. In Paul says that 83 times. And Romans mentions 27 times. So 5% of uh, the term law in the New Testament is found in Romans 7. So it's worthwhile taking a look at Romans 7, right? So there's different faces to the law. And somehow, on the one hand, we do need it. We need it as a guideline. But also, we know it is everywhere, every people, every nation has different kinds of laws. There's this universal law, obviously it's part of creation, but somehow it's not really pleasant. So you might be driving through to some villages or through the city of Tübingen, one of the roads and streets here, and you have these terrible cameras everywhere, and everywhere the speed limit is 30 and you don't remember it, and you go ahead a bit more, you know, than you should, and suddenly there is a picture, flashlight comes, and then you're not happy about the law, but you'd rather be like Johnny English and shoot a rocket at the blinking thing. So, yes, sometimes I don't really like the law, but on the other hand, Maybe you've got a beautiful car and somebody else comes and somehow he confuses his possessions with your possessions and he gets into your car and wants to leave. Then you're actually quite grateful for the law that says that this is yours, that it protects you. 
Actually, somebody who's a thief is called to, to order. So there's two different things, the law and the commandments. You know, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your the neighbor's wife, donkey, well, the car might be something like a donkey. But anyway, you know, you see there's different faces to the law. The one thing is about freedom. Everyone wants to live in freedom and then somehow we have to shake the law off. We have need freedom, freedom fighters like Claudia always wants freedom, right? <laughs> but then there's the other side of the law. And there's something like law and grace. We don't want the law. Why are you so legalistic? We want grace. I love that much more of God's compassion, his grace. And so somehow there are these two areas, right? If it's just about grace without the law, then I might end up just in some cozy little corner. And all of a sudden, the Bible, as the Bible puts it, freedom becomes a, a freedom for the flesh becomes an excuse for myself. So I start living grace without God's uh, orders and statutes. That doesn't work. And on the other hand, law without grace does not work either because that's just achievement and condemnation and so on. So you realize that the question is actually something that's quite complex than, more so than we thought before. And the term law causes different kind of associations for us. Maybe you know Michael Brown. You've heard of him, you know, he's a good friend of ours. He's an excellent Bible teacher in the United States, a messianic Bible teacher, and he's written a book on hypergrace. Also translated, it is like more than grace or beyond grace or a high weight of grace. And this is something we are realizing now, that apparently in the Western world right now, we are falling from one extreme to the next. Somehow we fell off the other side of the horse so to speak. And he writes that the hyper-grace movement is very prevalent in the States, but it has also reached German churches. And this is actually about the message of sin and grace and heaven and hell and so on. is nothing we particularly like. And uh, people don't want to listen to that anymore. But it's only we talk about forgiveness. That's what we need to mention. And so we need to mention a few marks, or he mentions a few marks, of that teaching, and that says that the message on holiness and sanctification, that we live as God wants it according to his statutes, is something that's largely ignored. And actually, even the Old Testament uh, is actually ignored as well. And this has got terrible results in the churches. There is no sense of direction anymore, no more sense of direction in in the whole area of marriage or even adultery. One of the uh, uh, marks is also that pastors are preaching against tithing and messages usually uh, only are no more than positive motivational talks. But in the end, it's about the question, how can we deal with this? What is God's principle? And so how is this that Romans 7 talks about the law, but also freedom of the law? So what is the law that we need to be free from? How does God see that? 
Deswegen schauen wir uns mal so let's take a look at chapter 7 and I believe some might have read it others might read it later on and something that's important I used to read it that way especially these last verse the good things I do want I don't do but the bad things I don't want I do oh wretched me and so many of you might say oh yes that's exactly my situation that's my life as a Christian but that's not true Paul does not describe the situation of a believer but he describes the situation of someone prior to giving their lives to Jesus Someone who somehow is caught up in a prison. He's under a yoke. He's under a yoke that keeps him captive. And how is this possible? This is a yoke of the law. How can that be? And so when we talk about the law, it always has a certain sound, okay? So let's take the Hebrew term here, and then we might like it more. It's Torah, okay, that's the term for law. In Greek it's nomos, but in, in Hebrew it's no, Torah. And that actually gets us to a very important point, because the Torah law is God's gift to Israel. Very special gift. And often we have the tendency to say, oh, this is kind of difficult or complicated. No. But Israel was infinitely proud and is infinitely proud of the gift of Torah. And so maybe we have this uh, picture here. We were there when the new Torah scroll was dedicated in Stuttgart just a few weeks ago. And so we were invited, and so Torah is lifted up, they're so proud, this is our um, new Torah, for every service, the Torah is paraded through the, uh, the sanctuary, they take it out of the ark, they kiss it, and then it's passed through the sanctuary, and this kiss shows appreciation and love for the word of God. And Torah was given, according to Galatians, by angels, and then given to Moses, who simply passed it on to the people. And so, an important, crucial part of, of the people of God is Torah. And at the same time, this law and the Torah in Israel and on Sinai is not just something for the people of Israel, but Paul speaks about it, that through creation, the, something has been planted in every single human being, a law which is shown in their conscience. Every human being, no matter what culture he's from, they know something about good and evil. And every human being can actually see some, whether something is wrong or right. And so Paul says, this law has been given into our hearts. So every human being has the possibility of actually recognizing God. Sometimes it gets a bit complicated, you know, what is this? Because if you take a look at the Old Testament... The question is, well, what is actually the content of the law? Because it says so much in there, so many pages. It says, you shall honor your father and mother. Of course, we see that until today. And then we see in Exodus 22, a little, uh, a little lamb is not to be boiled in its mother's milk. Well, what do I do about that? Somehow all of this is part of Torah. And how did Jesus do that? We know that Jesus did not abolish the law, but 
He came to fulfill it and summarize it and emphasize it. Matthew 5.17, he says, not the least stroke of the law shall pass away. But actually, he focused it and he said, there is important topics like brotherly love, forgiveness, murdering, family. And he took the law and he boiled it down and he honed it down and made it more radical. And he focused it on the love to God and love to one's neighbor. So the law is precious, costly. The law is not something bad or obnoxious or something from the devil, something that used to be good but somehow was turned bad and had a really ugly face now. But actually, Paul says in Romans 7 verse 14, he says, the law is spiritual. Pneumaticus, spiritual. Romans 7 verse 12, it is holy, it is righteous, it is just and good. So it's of God. And we need to be mindful of that. The law is from God. It is holy, good, precious. But sometimes we don't understand. We might spend some more with time with that person. Suddenly we understand the nature of that person. And the nature of the law is that it's not just there and silent. But just imagine, it, as in a person, the nature of the law is actually to be demandful. So the commandments tell us what to do and what we're not to do. What God wants of us. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. So it tells us what to do. Like the signs at the roadside, you know, speed limit 30, if you go faster, you get a ticket. And that's what the laws, what makes laws and, and commandments kind of uncomfortable. Because somehow they serve to uh, educate us and to give us a direction. And they need to be kept. And that takes us to the crucial question. Because the question is, how can I do it? How do I get there? How is it possible? How can I receive the strength and authority to, from God so this is actually fun, so I enjoy doing this? How can it be my pleasure without me coming under the law, being in the imprisonment, without becoming legalistic? So how can I act in a way, in the way, because the law wants us to be obedient, how can I live in a way so this obedience can be pleasure to me and be my happiness. Because the commandment tells us what we have to do. The gospel tells us what God has done already and what he's doing right now. So the law, the commandment tells us what we have to do and the gospel tells us of what God has already done. And the question is, how do these two go together? Because you see, the goal of the law is that those things happen in our lives that God wants. And Jesus never abolished that. It's always about the obedience of faith. Romans 8, verse 3. So God's righteousness should be fulfilled in us. But the question is, how can this happen? And what do we read in Romans 4, verse 7? 
that we might come into a imprisonment in, under sin. In Romans, uh, Romans 4 verse 7 is that we might know what is sin. And you know, in Hebrew, the word knowing means to be intimate. When a husband knows a wife, they become intimate, they become one flesh. So with sin, something happens through the law. It's like a magnifying glass. So God's law, suddenly something happens with sin. It is like magnified. It is visible all of a sudden. Suddenly it starts, before it was like dormant, but all of a sudden it springs to life. I come so close that it explodes in me. All of a sudden, the closer I get to this law, the more I see the fascinating, enticing things of sin. And actually, I was thinking, what is an example that I could use? Because I had to think about it, you know, what, whether this was really true. And I think I came up with a good example. Who of you has ever been on a diet? Who of you has ever been on a fast? Okay, most of you. So somehow it's strange, right? When we think about fasting, we are so courageous as long as we are eating. Yeah, fasting will work. We're great. I'll be the world champion in fasting. I will lose 20 pounds or 40 pounds and you think exactly how you will do that and you see in your mind all those pounds tumbling off and just walking past the fridge doesn't uh, itch you at all. You don't mind the smell and nothing. As long as you're actually eating, this is not a problem. But then you find the rules of diet. And as soon as you come closer to the dietary rules, the first day, and all of a sudden, well, actually, you shouldn't be hungry at all. You've never ha you're never hungry at this time of day. But you're suddenly your mind is full of pictures. You see a big steak. You see the yogurts you could be drinking. You see all the nice things, the milkshakes and whatever. You, you're not hungry. You shouldn't be hungry at all. You've eaten well the day before. And you've only been two hours into your time of fasting. Or you just started with your diet. So actually, the law receives its strength by you drawing close. Strange, isn't it? And so this is what we read in Romans 7 verse 8. Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. So sin wants to be on the throne. And it doesn't mind at all you trying hard and striving and wanting to do the right thing. You But since it's, you know, I'll show you who really rules this house. I'll show you. You do what I want anyway. So suddenly there is a struggle for power. There is sin, the power of evil in you, and all of a sudden you realize you don't have the strength. You can't overcome. You want to, but you can't. You want, like with a diet, you want to fast, you want to keep the diet, you want to follow God's laws because you know they're good. But suddenly there is a struggle in you. And this is what it's all about. The law is like a magnifying glass and it sets something ablaze in us. But the law has no authority. The law has no authority as long 
That's what we read in Romans 7, verse 14. As long as the old self is still alive in us. So, so in, in Romans 6, we read about our old self. And in Romans 7, we read about our flesh or carnality. So as long as our flesh rules over us. And I want to show you something. And I hope this works out. I thought about this, you know. What's the best way to present this? And first of all, I need one old self, please. Who do we take? Günther. Günther, you're my old self now. So please get over there. And now we need the Ten Commandments, the law. So ten people who come quickly to be the Ten Commandments. Okay, Ten Commandments, please. Five on this side and five on the other side, okay? So, so please make a make a line. So, to build, form a road, please. And you're in the center. So one behind the other. And always look at the old person. Because the law demands. Okay, so you are the law. Very nice people, actually. But they are, have a strange tendency. So all the Ten Commandments here. And so point your fingers, you know. And so that's the old self. And every time, okay, you can put your fingers down, thank you. Every time that the old self gets too close to the law, for instance, say... He's got um, dynamite in his pocket, and the law is like a magnifying glass that can actually set something ablaze. And every time he gets too close to uh, one of the laws, something explodes in his pocket. If he comes too close to that one, it's exploding. So sin is exploding in his pockets. He can't control this. So actually, the laws are something good, but what's in him is... He's got his pockets full of dynamite, and every time there's an explosion, when he gets uh, too close to one of the commandments, and he doesn't like that at all. So the law is something like a yoke for him, and so either he will protect himself and say, "No, I don't like this at all. These laws, you know, I hear about that in a service. I stay at home. There's too much, too, too uh, challenging for me. I won't read the word of God anymore." You know, what I find there is too hard. He will do something, but he's kind of withdrawing, and he suddenly feels the law around him is just like a straitjacket. It is a prison for him. He is captive. So somehow he needs to get a solution. And there's two possibilities of solution. First possibility, we just take away the law. No, no, stay there. <laughs> He says, I need freedom from the law. I need liberation of Torah, of the commandments, of the word. Just away with it. And that's how, what many people do. They say, I don't want this. I want grace. I want compassion. I want the positive, good things. But there's still the old self within him. The old self is carnal life. A life focused on oneself. What needs to go? Actually, the old self needs to okay. go, right? So what does he do? Okay. We have to do something about him. Something has to happen. So now we need a cross. Can, can, we, can somebody bring the cross by any chance? Could you get the cross for us? 
Just a few strong guys. Don't uh, crush us, but uh, you know, can you like carry it? Okay, watch the lamp. We'll have the cross on this side, okay? We do need the cross. Tell the person next to you, you need the cross. On that side, please. Oops. <laughs> further, further. Thank you. Here. Okay. So he has constant explosions in his pockets as soon as he gets in touch with the word of God, with the commandments. So there's explosions of sin in him. It's, he's, it's unbearable. He feels like crushed by the law and by the word. So the law can't go away because God placed it there. It's God's word. It's precious. We just had a look at this. But he needs to go. The old self, okay? What do we do with him? There's nothing he can do. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something for him. Because he went to the cross for that old self, right? That's what we talked about. So, Günther, please go over there. Old, old self, all rebellion against God, your old character, your just disgusting self, everything there. <laughs> you can kneel, you can do whatever. Jesus already died on the cross for you, you know. Your old self, your flesh, your carnal life, everything you are, even your self-pity, right? All your inferiority, all your wanting to be on stage, everything. That has to be taken to the cross. And this is what Jesus says. And now, what happens when he does that? When he comes with a broken heart, he comes to the Lord, and Jesus has rulership over his life, you may stand. Jesus has authority over his life, and he enters a new sphere, a new realm, and that's in the Holy Spirit. We no longer live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, right? So no longer it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he came out of his own little universe, just centering around himself. He walked through the door, because Jesus is the door, and then he entered into the kingdom of God. And that's not theory, but that's what you need. Every single human being needs that, because otherwise the law becomes judgment for you and me. But the, the law is grace, okay? So what happens, we now take him back to the row of law, and all of a sudden, what happens, he says, hey, you shall not co covet your neighbor's possessions, and say, oh, great, I hug you, that's I love that, that's great. You shall not commit adultery, is what the law says. He says, oh, great, I welcome them. I want to live that way. And all of a sudden, the law comes and embraces him and brings him out. And it, that gets him into freedom, because the law no longer is a straitjacket, a yoke on him. But the law has become blessing and anointing for him. Why? Because the word of God says, through Jesus, the law is written in his heart. It is something in him. It has written it into his heart. So please, give them a big hand.
Halleluja. Who of you understood this? I thought I'd rather show you before preaching a long time about this. And especially because we don't have so much time today. So the law focuses the burning glass, the magnifying glass of God on us. But in this way we have liberty of the law. Now, what is legalism? Because, of course, we don't want to be legalistic. And there is the expression, you know, I went here and there, and that person is so legalistic. Or she is so legalistic. The church is so legalistic. I mean, there's people who say that. So legalistic is not if it's about breaking all ties to sin. Legalistic is not repenting And if we are called to change our lives, that is biblical, my friends. Or if we say God wants things to change in our lives, God always wants to bring change in our lives, that's biblical, it's not legalistic. But legalistic, in that negative sense, is when I take my subjective demands on other people, something that's important to me, and if I apply that to everyone else. For instance, if you want to be spiritual, you need to have such and such a hairstyle. So actually you judge uh, somebody's spiritual life by the length of their hair. Or when our Frank, friend Carlos Jimenez came to be with us, we could hardly believe that, but it truly was like that. He was very much in a Pentecostal lifestyle, and he said, well, Jobst, if you truly want to preach an anointed message, you have to wear a tie. He lost that quite quickly. So... I start applying my principles on other people. You know, you have to look in such and such a way. This is the makeup you can wear. This is, if you have long hair as a man, you have to cut it off. As a girl, if you've got short hair, you need to have it grow. Or you can only put on such and such makeup or whatever. So to be legalistic is... If it's about my demands, and if I mix them with what God wants to do. But my friends, it is not legalistic, but it's biblical. If we encourage one another to be obedient to the word of God, to do what God says. And that's very important. You know, today we experience, very strongly, I mentioned this in the beginning of my sermon, we come across an attitude that there are no more laws for Christians, for believers. Or people put it differently, you know, more elegant. They don't say there's no more laws, but there's people say, oh, I've got the freedom to do whatever I feel right, what is right for me. This subjectivism. So it is actually me who determines what's good for me. And I tell people around me, oh, you can't tell me, preacher, what it says in the Bible or cell group leader. I will determine what's good. And somehow, even in the most religious circles, we have no more idea about how valid and how final God's commandments are. 
Actually, that's nothing new. It even existed at the time of Martin Luther. So it's something, you know, it has a bit of a different appearance, but it's basically the same thing. There was a theology at the time of Martin Luther, which was called antinomism. So it was against the law. So the liberty of the law can never be an abolishing of Torah, of the commandments. But liberty of the law actually means that Jesus actually has taken up the center position in my life and it's his freedom that I love obeying him and following him. So obedience is nothing compulsory, but obedience is my free will decision before God. But that's the goal. And with Jesus, it's just the same thing. Jesus says, you are my disciples if you do what I tell you. So we don't have any special license or special status with God, but redemption means I have experienced God's love, I've had an encounter with him, and I love taking seriously whatever God says. I love following him. And this actually takes us to our time of prayer. I just want to summarize again and then we'll pray together. I mentioned this in between. We, currently we are seeing especially in the churches in the Western world. It's nothing just German, but you see that also in America and other churches. You see people go to the other extreme. So especially the message on sin, uh, repentance and turning around and, and sanctification, this is being put to the side. But we need it. And it's an act of liberation that thinks we only need mercy and grace now. Of course, we do need the message of grace and mercy, but we need both. We need the middle part. And what we're seeing is that believers actually return to their old life. Because this is possible. You live just your life. You love Jesus. You love obeying him. You love doing what his word says. You know that this is actually grace for your life, but then there's one point that I suddenly return inside and my old self, my flesh, uh, celebrates resurrection and I start just having myself at the center of my life. And then I suddenly have again these constant explosions of sin and the commandment becomes a threat to me, causing explosions. It's a challenge that I can't meet and all of a sudden I get back to Romans 7 in constant falling and striving and I realize I just can't go on. But actually what is described here in Romans 7 is life how God did not plan it for us. Because what the Lord has planned here, what he has designed us for, the normal life as a believer is life in the freedom of the Spirit. And so then I can suddenly recognize this. Suddenly I can realize the old self has actually gained strength in my life again. I start living with it again. I stop taking him to the cross. I stop living in agreement with the word of God and trusting him. 
And I just want to summarize a few of the marks here, but because of time, I need to be brief. First point is, God's commands become a burden threat to me. Secondly, I try and find ways to withdraw my old self from the Word of God. I don't want to hear the Word of God. I don't want to hear the message. Before, I used to enjoy it and having fellowship with Him. Acts 2.42, it says, they had constant fellowship in prayer and breaking bread, and they were rejoicing with one another because God was there. And suddenly I realize I just want to flee. I don't want to be with that. And other things become more important. I start having myself at the center of my life. I start defending myself against things that God loves, his word, fellowship, prayer. And I say, I, some, then I confuse the will of God with my own desires. I don't ask him anymore, God, what do you want? And it's so easy to take my own desires, what I want, and even without asking God, without praying. I confuse that with what he wants. And so this puts me in a prison instead of freedom. And my friends, in our prayer evening, I showed you a picture and I want to show it again tonight because in Houston, Charlotte and I had the opportunity to go to NASA and I saw this picture here. Well, it's actually a mannequin there. It's a, a, an image for this astronaut who is just uh, circling. And in German, you, you say you circle around yourself if you are at the center of your own life. And Christians are like that. Maybe they've not done that for a long time, but uh, then they start again. I just uh, circle around my own uh, desires. I am at the center of my own life. And somehow... We need to get out of having ourselves at the center of our lives. The circling around ourselves. We have to stop that. Our old self, our own flesh, our own ego. And maybe we can do that today. Maybe there's somebody here who wants to do that because we have to take that step. We have to get out of our own biotope. Maybe it's our own families, experiences, our everyday life, everyday job experiences we have, the own, our own little cosmos that we have. And there is a way out. I don't know whether that little thing up there is his way out, but for us it's Jesus. Your way out is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. And Jesus is not just the way, somewhere, anywhere, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door for the sheep. So that's Jesus. So I have to take it to the cross in a very conscious decision, and it's nothing emotional, actually, but it's a very conscious step. I do the right thing because it, it is what God says. And by doing that, God does something in me. He says, I take you and I lift you up again. And I will plant a new spirit, new life, new peace in you. So I am returning you into the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. That's what next Sunday will be about, life in the Spirit. I will take you back into life in the Spirit, which is so normal. Life that is not just an eruption every now and then, but it's something constant. It's an atmosphere with a new spirit. But we also need to change something in our speaking. 
homologeo, something that we declare, that we confess. And maybe you're here, and you say, well, this is what I want to do today, at this day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah actually is prophetically pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world. And I want to get out of that, my own little cosmos, something where I'm at the center of my own world. I want to get out of this. And so this is your opportunity today. And let's all stand together and then we'll pray.